All right, open your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, and our reading today will be from verse 27 of chapter 11 through verse 3 of chapter 12. Genesis 11. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's pray. Father, we've come in our study to a very important passage and a very important figure in the Bible. And as we learn about Abraham, as we learn about the promises you made to him and the things that you did in his life and through him and, and to him, we ask that you would teach us this morning. May we learn of your faithfulness. May we come to understand better who is this character and what is this faith that he had and who is this God in whom he had faith. So we ask that you would Teach us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today, you can see in your outline there that I have uh, endeavored to go all the way from basically the end of chapter 11 through ver uh, chapter 23. And no, that's not a typo, and that's really what we intend to do. And, uh, and so we have a lot to cover, obviously, but that's on purpose, and it's, it's not... Um, we're not going to cover Abraham in one uh, sermon and then move on to other things. What we want to do is get an overview of what's going on in the entirety of the story of Abraham. And so that's what we are looking at today. We want to look at it all together. I have uh, mentioned earlier how the story of Genesis is broken up into these generations. Now, these are the generations of so-and-so, and these are the generations of so-and-so. And there are about ten different sections where Genesis is broken up in that way. And you get to uh, our passage here. These are the generations of Terah. 
right? Or what came from Terah? Well, the most important thing that came from Terah in this study is Abraham himself. And then you're going to go chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter before you get to another of those statements that says these are the generations of, or this is the next important story. And so the Abraham story is an important one, and it's one we have to get our minds around. If you think about the fact that we are only in chapter 11 at the start of today's message, and we've gone from in the beginning God through creation, through the fall, through the flood, through the Tower of Babel, how much history has gone on, and that's taken us all the way through chapter 11, and that uh, those uh, those historical events are treated in a different fashion. They're looked at slightly different. The, the gears shift when we come to Abraham. So here we are at the end of chapter 11, and now we're going to gear down and focus on one man for chapters. And he's going to be a significant character. You know, if you've read the New Testament, if you've read much of the Bible at all, that Abraham is one that is referred to very often. And so uh, today we're trying to get our minds around the entirety of the story and then in later messages, we will come back and look at sections and see the details that go into the broad story, but I think it would be helpful for us to get an idea uh, to begin with of the entirety of the Abraham story so that we can have that in place. And, and so we uh, look at just here at the beginning, we see the call and promise of Abram, whose name will be changed later on to Abraham, and I may switch back and forth, and I don't really mean to, but he's called Abram now. Later, he will be called Abraham. But we have the call and promise, right? So you've got the story there at the end of uh, chapter 11 and kind of the history about uh, Terah and Abram and, and, and th that family and the journey that they go on, right? And you're established. Uh, who is Sarai? She's going to be an important character. And who is Lot? He's going to be an important character. And others in here are going to be important characters as well. And then you've got here this great, great passage in verses 1 through 9 of chapter 12 of the call of Abram, where the Lord speaks to him. And he says, go from where you are, go from your family in chapter 12 and verse 1, and go from your country, your kindred, that word country, by the way, is land. Go from your land and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and there I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so this is, the, this is the call of God. This is the instruction of God and the promise of God made to Abram. And so this character is going to be a unique and a, and a special one. And here we have just the very beginnings of that. And of course, he uh, begins to travel and, and, uh, and he goes to the land and he gets there. And we read uh, that uh, to your offspring, I will give this land and then, um, so, so he has traveled. He and his family have traveled from where they were. It's begun. The story, the saga has begun that Abram has left his, his, uh, his kith and kin, and he has gone to this land that God is going to do so much in. And that's the very beginning of the story, and you have him being called out, right? And so the promise that was made to him, and it's kind of a multi-part promise, you see reference made there to blessing back in chapter 12 and uh, verses 1, 2, and 3, reference to blessing and, and reference to seed and reference to land. 
go to the land that I will show you. Well, the next several chapters, the next section really of, uh, of the story of Abram is really about the land being in question. Now, there's discussion of seed in this first section here in uh, really what takes us all the way through chapter 15. There's discussion of seed, but the emphasis is on the land. And all of the goings-on are uh, about the, the plot kind of turning around the land and the land being in question. Well, the first question that we might raise before we even get into looking at the, the flow of how things uh, kind of develop here is why do they need a land? Well, they need a land. They need a place to build their altar. They need a place to set up a tabernacle eventually, to set up a temple. They need a place to worship their God. See, something new is being created. They're being taken out of a land of idolatry, and they're being given a land in which they can serve their God, they can worship their God. They need a physical location so that they can offer their sacrifices, they can bring their worship, they can come before their God. And so they're going to be brought into this land. And that's the promise, and that's the, the trajectory, and you see Abraham passing through the land and, uh, and uh, enters into the land, and you think, great, so that, that part is taken care of, right? Well, no, there's a threat. You see what happens there in verses 10 through 20 of chapter 12 is that there's a famine in the land. So they've gotten to the land, but now there's a famine in the land, and they can't stay there, or at least they don't stay there, right? So the Part of the blessing is wrapped up in this land. Part of the promise that God has made is wrapped up in this land. And, and the first thing you read about, they get there, all this stuff goes on. Uh, Abraham built an altar uh, to the Lord, and he was calling upon the name of the Lord in that time, and yet there's a famine, and so he leaves the land. Right? So already there's a problem. Uh, famine has driven them out of the land, and of course they go down into the land of Egypt, and you have the first of uh, three very awkward situations that are very similar in uh, the life of Abraham and then, and then Isaac. And that is the situation that they enter into the land and uh, Abram and Sarai have this discussion. Sarai, my wife, you're lovely, you're beautiful. They're going to want you for their own and they'll kill me to get to you. So here's the deal, All right? We will tell them that you're my sister Right? That way I, my skin is saved. And you've got this whole uh, terrible story of what happens in relation to that. And, uh, and, and so, of course, they do see her, and, and Pharaoh uh, takes her into his house, right? And, um, and so, but in the midst of that, you've got this, the Lord responding, the Lord afflicting Pharaoh and his people because of what is going on, right? So you've got this evil thing where a husband is is kind of uh, disowning his wife in a manner of speaking for his own safety. She gets taken into his household, into his harem, right? So they've gone out of the land and evil things have begun to happen. And those evil things, by the way, didn't happen to them, <laughs> right? The evil thing really comes from Abram's own brain. So that's your first threat, right? That uh, the, the famine in the land has caused them to leave. Well, but that's not... That's not the only threat to the land, the land promise. If you see the beginning of chapter 13, 
in uh, verses 1 through 13 there, you see also that they've been blessed. They've multiplied there when they were in Egypt, and they go up, and they, they come back into the land, and uh, they're very rich, and they've got so much stuff that now you've got Abram, and you've got Lot, and they're like two giant empires, and uh, all their possessions, and all their livestock, and all this kind of stuff, and they come into the land. Well, now they're almost competing factions, and there's difficulty between their peoples. And what's going to happen? Are they going to have to divide the land? Are they going to have to share the land? Is there going to be a struggle between them over whose land it's going to be? It's a threat to the land promise. The promise was made to Abram, not to Lot. Lot is his nephew. Promise is made to Abram. But now uh, there's, you've got this problem. There's a, the, the land promise is being threatened. And so you have that situation where Abram says to Lot, choose your land. Lot chooses his land and leaves, and, and, and so that is dealt with. And in the face of that, in the face of that threat, after two threats to the land, they first get there and there's famine, and then when they come back, they're too rich. There's, you know, this town's not big enough for the both of them. And so that, that's got to be resolved, and it is. Well, after that, you've got this statement of reassurance. In the face of those threats, you have this reassurance that happens in chapter 13, in verses 14 through 18, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. And so here there's a risk. There had been a real uh, question about whether Abram was, uh, was going to be able to live in the land, first because of famine, second because of competition. But here you have this assurance by God. Verse 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Right? So you've got reassurance on God's part. After the threats to the land, you've got reassurance uh, about descendants and about owning this land. But hot on the heels of that, you've got another threat. And this threat is a little bit different. This threat is because Lot, his nephew, who was now wealthy, had moved into uh, the region of Sodom and Gomorrah, and there had been warfare over there, and Lot is taken captive. So now Abram, he has to decide uh, what he's going to do. Well, he's, he's a good man, he's a loyal family member, and his nephew's been taken hostage. So he goes and musters his army, which it's pretty impressive, the size of army that this uh, private citizen could muster. I think it says... 318, or what's the number in there? And it's, it's a crazy number that he's able to gather up and, and take into warfare. He musters them, and he goes and he delivers, rescues Lot. Well, if you think about that, what had happened? Abram himself was in the land. He was safe. Lot gets in trouble, and he gets hauled off. So Abram leaves the land and enters into war, which is dangerous. So now you have a danger not within the land itself. You've got danger of uh, what's happening outside, out there in uh, this other land. So again, the promise is threatened because what if Abraham gets hurt out there? What if Abraham is destroyed out there? Then the land promise can never be fulfilled. And so you've got another sort of threat. The Lot story is a, is a unique one, but it's a threat outside the land. So you've had all of these threats that have been brought against uh, that, that promise. Well, now we have a couple of uh, reassurances 
that happen as, uh, as a result of that. And we'll focus on all of this a lot more. But if you see there in chapter 14, you've got Abraham returning from, uh, from the defeat of the kings, right? In verse 18, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. This is chapter 14, verse 18. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor or creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And so here you have Melchizedek who comes out and he blesses Abram as Abram's on his way back to uh, the land, into the land. You have a reassurance by this blessing uh, from Melchizedek. And so that's a, a reassurance of the blessedness of uh, this land and the land promise that it's going to happen. And then you have this great chapter, chapter 15, which is another massive assurance where you have God cutting this covenant with Abraham, whose name is Abram at this point, God cutting this covenant with him and telling him, reassuring him, filling in the details of what these promises are. He takes it even deeper, and here we actually have this cutting of the covenant, right? And you have promises made. He, God promises him your heir will be your own offspring, not some distant relative, not somebody else. The heir that I promised you will be your own child, Right? And then he says, actually, your offspring in the end will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Can you count the stars? You won't be able to count your offspring. Right? So you have God strengthening that promise. And he says, likewise, in chapter 15, he says, you will indeed possess the land. You will surely possess that land. And more than that, he gives more details about the future. He says, your descendants will sojourn in a foreign land for 400 years, but then they will come back and they will possess this land again. So he fills in Abraham. He, he commits himself to it, and he commits himself do it, to it by this great, uh, beautiful picture of this covenant where you've got these animals that are cut in, 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 in half, and they're laid one half on each side. Right? And normally the, 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 the people committing together to this covenant would walk through it, but Abraham is put to sleep, and God himself passes through the covenant, passes through those animals, and uh, as it were, declaring that, that if I don't uphold my end of this covenant, God is saying, may the same thing happen to me that happened to these animals that were cut in half. It's a strong commitment. It's a strong covenant and strong covenant promises that he is making to Abram. And there, if you will look at chapter 15 and verse 6, you will see a powerful, powerful statement that will show up again in Scripture. And he, Abraham, Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him, as righteousness. So this great promise that God is making, Abram believed him, and God counted that to him as righteousness. That's going to become extremely significant in the remainder of Scripture. And so verses uh, chapter, chapter 12 really through chapter 15 is really a focus on the land. And again, the seed is in there and there are other things going on, but, but you see that God has made a promise of a land. It's being threatened in numerous ways and God is 
God is backing up. He's giving reassurance about what He's going to do all throughout that time. And so you have the land in question. And point number three, though, there's a slight shift. There's a change in gears, and now the future is in doubt. The future meaning the seed, the offspring. We've been talking about the land, but God didn't just say, here's a land. He said, here's an offspring. Uh, here's a, the promise of uh, your descendants. And so the future is in doubt. Of course, that takes us into chapter 16, where uh, you have another sort of low point for this couple with uh, Sarai and Hagar, and Sarai is barren and still has not born a child, though promise has been made, yet there's no child. And so she has the idea, well, here, take my handmaid, Hagar, and uh, you can have a child with her, and that'll be like me bearing children. And it's, it's kind of an idea that they concoct. And of course, you've read the story. You know that it does not go well. It causes all manner of problems. Uh, but it's focused on this issue of seed. Who will be the seed? How will the seed come? We've already been told that it's going to be a descendant of Abram. Well, uh, the, the child, the offspring of Abram and Hagar is technically Abram's descendant, but it only causes problems. It only causes divisions. It's not the solution that God has in mind. They, in fact, are taking things into their own hands, which causes problems for the rest of time, really. You see there in uh, chapter 17, You've got this uh, Abraham in a covenant sign of circumcision. Again, this is, this is something that has to do with the children. It has to do with the offspring that are to be expected, and all the males are to be circumcised. The promise is repeated, and circumcision ends up being commanded. This is uh, the beginning of chapter 17 is really focusing on the seed, keeping that same theme. And then you get down to verse 15 of chapter 17. And you have the birth of Isaac promised. And this time, God makes it more clear that it's, Abram, it's not just your descendant like you tried with Hagar. That didn't work. That wasn't the descendant that I was talking about. Actually, I'm telling you that you will have a child with Sarah. You, Abram, old man, will have a child with your wife Sarah, old woman. That's the child I'm talking about. And that will, that will take place within the year, right? And so, uh, the end of chapter 17, beginning of chapter 18, you have God specifying and clarifying things that were uh, maybe confusing for them before that, uh, that no, it's going to be Abram and Sarah, you're going to have a child, and now there's a, there's a stopwatch. He's just started the clock. It's going to be within a year you're going to have this child. God is really putting it all out there. It's not a vague promise, I will bless you in some vague way, and you can, you know, make up in your mind what way that is, or, or I will give you offspring. Oh, maybe it's my relative who lives over in Damascus, maybe a distant cousin, or maybe he's going to be my, no, that's not your offspring, nor is it the offspring of, of an illicit relationship. I'm talking to you, Abram, and you, Sarai, you two, old couple, will have a child together, and it'll be within the year. God is making massive promises. There's no question about what he means. He's clarifying uh, to a great extent. Well, then in uh, chapter 18, verses 22 through uh, 19, and uh, really all the end of 19 there, you've got this, 
you've got this situation with Lot. Remember, Lot is, he came up in chapter 11. We saw that he had grown rich because of their time down in, in Egypt, and then he had, he had become really a, a competing force, but then he moved off to uh, Sodom and, and lived in that area. And so you've got this whole story about uh, what goes on there with Lot and Sodom and uh, the destruction that God is going to bring upon Sodom and Gomorrah because of their great evil. There's going to be destruction, and you think, why is this included? You know, I, I don't know how many times I've read Genesis, and I've always wondered, you know, why is that section included, and why is it included here? Why are we talking about Lot so much? Well, the, I, think, I think how it connects to the overall theme of Genesis and what's going on in the flow of what we're looking at takes place in chapter 18 and verse 23. If you'll look there, you can get an idea for why this story is included. Right? You've, got a, you've got a statement about the destruction that's going to come, and Abram draws near, verse 23, and he says, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Meaning the righteous seed, I think. Will the righteous people be swept away with the wicked people? Because Sodom and Gomorrah is a wicked place, but there lives Lot and his family. And Lot, in my mind, doesn't strike me as a super upstanding guy, but Abram seems to think so, and, and uh, the author to the Hebrews in chapter 11 refers back to him as righteous Lot. So there's, he's righteous. He apparently has faith. Apparently he knows the Lord. And so the question that's going on in this whole thing is, will God wipe out the righteous? Will He, will he wipe out God's people with the wicked? Is that what's going to happen? And then you have this story that goes on there, and of course you've got this very unusual haggling that goes on between Abraham and the Lord. And Abram says basically, what if there are 50 righteous people there? Will you, will you spare it, you know, if there are 50 righteous people, or are you going to destroy them too? And God says, no, if there are 50 righteous, I'd spare the place. Oh, but Lord, what, what if there are 45 righteous? What if, what if, what if there's just five less? Only 45, will you destroy it then? No, I wouldn't destroy it then. And he kind of haggles all the way down, and he, and he gets down, and, and, and what, if there, what if there are just a few? If there are just a few, then uh, no, I won't destroy it. I will spare the place. And, of course, we know how the story actually goes. He haggles all the way down, verse 31. He said, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord, says Abram. Suppose 20 are found there. And he answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he says, O Lord, let, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose ten are found there. And the Lord says, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. So the question again is, will the Lord sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Because that's an exceedingly wicked place. Is the Lord just going to destroy them all? He says, no, even if there are ten there, I will spare the place. Well, of course, we know there are not ten there. The place is destroyed. The people are rescued. Uh, we know what goes on in that case and the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and his family and all that goes on there. It's a question about seed. Will the seed continue? What if the righteous seed is overwhelmed? I think this is food for thought here in this topic. What if, what if there are just a few you know, Jesus said that we are salt. 
there's something preservative about God's people in the midst even of a crooked generation. And that's sort of the question that's being asked in this case. And so I think that's why it fits in here. And so you have Abraham interceding for Sodom and, and all of that, and then God rescues Lot, and God's people are saved. Uh, and out of, in, in that situation, God destroys Sodom. And then you've got the very difficult situation of Lot and his daughters, which we will put off to another time. <laughs> but it gives rise to the Ammonites and the Moabites, who are going to factor into the story later on. When you think about the, the, the nation of Israel coming out of the land of Egypt, remember that's the time this is being written. Moses is writing this to that generation that, that has come out of Egypt and they're looking to go into the land and he's writing their history and he's telling them these things and they need to know who are these Ammonites? Are they friend or foe? Well, they're kind of like cousins that you don't really get along with, right? Well, that's why. There's a reason, right? The, and so you have this description of how that all came about, right? And so a very, uh, very difficult story that we will put off to another time. Well, then we come back to chapter 20, and we have another similar situation again. From there, Abraham journeyed down from the territory, this is verse 1, the territory of the Negev, and lived at Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, second verse, same as the first, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. You've got a similar situation happening again where uh, this, this time uh, he, he goes into this land, gives up his sister, and, or his, his, his wife, and she actually is his sister, but that's not really the point now, is it? And so uh, you've got, again, remember where we are in the timeline. There has just been a promise made by God. Sarah is going to have a child within a year. Clock is ticking, Right? Well, in that year, you have all the events that just happened with, with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and all the stuff that happened on there, and now we come back to, to our family, and now all of a sudden Sarah is put into a place where it's, it's realistic that she could become pregnant by another man. Now, I don't, I don't think in this situation uh, it, it, it's clear that she's kept from that, but you see the risk? God had just said, you're going to have a baby within a year. And the next thing you know, they, they, Abram has put his wife into a, a compromised position where, yes, yeah, she, she might have a child, but it might be someone else's child. Well, then what do you do? Right? Then you've, you've got the line called into question. You see how it's put at risk? The seed is put at risk once again by the acts of Abraham. Well, finally, uh, of course, that is all cleared up and and, uh, and, and the, uh, this couple is spared from that fate, and the, uh, Sarah is spared from that fate. And we see, uh, moving on into chapter 21, we finally see the blessed moment. This seed that has been promised has finally come. Right? The Lord visited Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as He had promised. Praise God. He said it. He promised it, and now finally it comes to fulfillment. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. So the Lord started the clock, and the baby was born within that time. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him. Remember, it's supposed to be Abraham's child. It's supposed to be Sarah's child. Named him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight 
days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. She's rejoicing and praising God that he has fulfilled his promise that she, an old woman, has borne a son to Abraham, an old man, just as God had promised. All this time and all this agony and all this uh, even sin and, and, and times of doubt and, and all of the threats to the seed and, and all of that, it's finally all behind them. And the promise has been fulfilled. And here we have the child. Here we have Isaac. And then uh, later on in chapter uh, 21, we've got God protecting uh, Hagar and Ishmael. Ishmael is still Abraham's child, not the promised child, but he receives the protection of God. And then verse 21, uh, conclu- uh, chapter 21, verses 22 and following, you've got the treaty between uh, Abraham and Abimelech. You've got uh, blessing happening. You've got uh, a people, a nation, blessing Abraham and receiving blessing in return. So you, you see the beginnings of the fulfillment of those sorts of things, right? So when we get all the way to the end of chapter 21, it's amazing what God has done. It's amazing the journey that Abraham and his wife have been on. We see fourthly, though, we have something else to learn about God. We have something else to learn about His promises. God is faithful to provide. Everything is happening. Everything's in a row. Everything's right. It seems like everything's going super well. The baby is born. Isn't this great? There's blessing. There's a treaty going on. There's, it seems like great fulfillment. And then you get into chapter 22. Verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. This child you've been waiting for, for decades, the promise you received so long ago, this, this focal point of your expectation, now you've got him and, and his name means laughter and you're so excited about God's fulfilled promises and right off the bat, God says, take that son, your only son, the one whom you love, let's, this, yes, that one, that one, and go offer him. There's a test. And of course, we're going to spend quite a bit of time in chapter 22, and it's going to be hard to uh, ring out all of the, the important aspects of that passage, but uh, for the purpose of looking at the whole course of Abraham's life, you can see that this is the point of challenge. Abraham has faced challenges before. When an old man is promised a child uh, and he's got an old wife who, who has never born children, that's a challenge. And all the challenges along the way were big challenges, but there is no challenge like this one. Hey, you've got the fulfillment of that promise. Now, I want you to do something else. And he's challenged to go and sacrifice him. And of course, we know how that story goes. And, uh, and Abraham is faithful. The very next verse is, and Abraham went. He took him and went. 
He obeyed. He did it. He, he goes all the way to the point where he climbs up the mountain and he's, and he's got the wood and he's got the fire and he's got the knife, but where's the offering? And the Lord will provide a lamb. And he goes to the point of binding him up and he's got the wood and he's got everything all set up and he's ready to go. And he's about to slaughter him and it's as if he reaches back and he's, he's mid-stroke. And the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham. And I bet he was never quicker in his life to respond. Here I am. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he responded, right? And the Lord did provide. And Isaac's life was spared. And as a result, you have uh, God saying that Abraham, your, your, faith, your faith has been most clearly seen, most clearly put on display in this moment. It's an amazing, amazing uh, climax, really, of the entire story. God provides. And that's the theme of the whole story, isn't it? We had started off in the beginning of chapter 12 with God saying He was going to provide a land and a name and a people and a blessing. And all the way through, you've got this struggle. Will God provide? Will God provide? Well, God does provide, and then what happens? You have to hold it with an open hand, and God provides in that moment. God provides even at the climax of the story. And then uh, chapter 23 is kind of the, 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 the conclusion. So the Abraham story sort of lands right there. You've got Sarah dying, and she ends up being buried, and there's another odd haggling match uh, between Abraham and the Hittites uh, over a place to bury her. But this story is not just about a place to bury her because they offer him one. Oh, here's, you know, any of us will give you uh, a cave to bury her in. We're happy to do that. And Abraham says, no, I want to buy one. He buys one that's connected with a field. And when he buys it, he owns it. It's his the deed has been transferred, and finally you have the beginnings of the fulfillment of that promise for a land. When he owns the title to the place where he gets to bury his wife, now you have that even being provided. Yes, he's lived there, but he's sojourned there. He's moved hither and yon. He's been in his tent. He's gone here and there and traveled all around. And, and just being given a place to bury his wife would not have been enough. He buys a property. He owns it. It's the, it's the foretaste of owning the whole place. And so he haggles, he buys the place, and you have God providing once again. He didn't just say he was going to give him a land to live in. It'll be yours. It'll be your possession. And look here, it's starting. A down payment, as it were. So that's the overview of the entirety of the Abraham story. And... I, I want to make just a couple of points of application before we go on, well, before we conclude. First of all, thank you for being patient with me. <laughs> I know that was a lot, all right? And when you got the email on Thursday about reading all these chapters, I hope you read all these chapters because it would make more sense if you did that, right? So thank you for being patient. But the first point of application is that, be patient, not, not just with the preacher. You, you may have someone in your life that you wish would grow in faith a whole lot faster. You may wish that you would grow in faith a whole lot faster than you are. Be patient. The story of Abraham is not a story of exemplary faith from beginning to end. If you paid attention at all reading that story, you noticed that. No sooner had Abram left his home and family because he believed the Lord's words 
No sooner had he done that than he turned around and lied about his wife in such a way that she ended up in Pharaoh's harem and all to save his own skin. That's a disconnect there between those two things. A man of such great faith, and what a wimp. And who wants to marry a guy like that? Who wants to marry his daughter off to a guy like that? Right? I'm not saying we excuse the sins of ourselves or of other people, but we need to trust that God is at work in His people. He is growing them, and He is growing their faith, just as we saw God patiently working with Abram from the early days to the end, blessing him greatly and causing such great faith that in the rest of the Bible we can look and see he's referred to as the man of faith. God is at work. This reminds me of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. If you don't have this uh, underlined or, or as a memory verse, you need to. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul... Did you catch that? May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God is at work sanctifying His people. So be patient. It doesn't excuse sin. I'm not saying that. But be patient. When you wish they would grow more quickly, be patient. When you wish you would grow more quickly, be patient. God is at work conforming all of His children to the image of His Son. So that's the first point of application. Be patient. The second one, we read in chapter 15 and verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. A person is declared righteous before God by faith alone. The rest of the Bible builds on this verse in 15.6. Particularly Paul in Romans chapter 4 builds upon that verse to, to encourage us to to warn us about the idea that, that we might think, well, justification, being made right with God. Turn in, Roman, in your Bible to Romans 4, and we're going to finish there. The temptation is to think, well, you know, God is, God is righteous, and He's, he's he got this high standard, and so, um, yes, He provides uh, for me. He provides Christ. He provides uh, all of these things so that I can know Him, but surely, surely there's fine print of what I must do Surely I've got to make sure I give enough to the church or I've got to make sure I, uh, you know, um, keep the Sabbath or, or I've got to make sure I uh, uh, follow these steps. I've, I've got my part to do. But Abraham was justified when he believed. Paul's going to develop that chapter 4. I just want to read it for us. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, by the things he did, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. 
Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Quote, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. We are declared righteous before God through faith. Not faith plus. Not faith plus my faithfulness. Not faith plus the things that I do. But it is through faith. And if we learn anything from Abraham, and there is a lot to learn, and we'll probably spend more, more time, you know, two, two or three months into this, you'll probably wish we could go back to the day when we covered all of Abraham in one day. <laughs> if we learn nothing else from Abraham, it's that justification is by grace through faith. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. So believe God. Trust in Christ. Don't, don't look for the second thing to do to, to seal that deal, to make that thing real, to make it happen, to, to complete the project. Trust in Jesus. Jesus is the one who has given himself, and there's so much in chapter 22 about Jesus, about the son being sacrificed. I'm tempted to go there now, but it's gone long already. Jesus gave himself. He lived a life of perfection that you have not and died to pay the penalty so that you wouldn't have to. So that by faith in Him, you have right standing before God. So believe Him. Believe Him. Believe in Jesus. The Abraham saga is one of surprising faith. Sometimes Abraham shows surprisingly strong and resilient faith. His willingness to trust the Lord in obeying His commands to sacrifice Isaac, only to be delivered at the last possible moment, praise God showed great faith. I don't know of greater faith. On the other hand, Abraham sometimes shows surprisingly weak faith. For example, when he lied about his wife's identity to protect his own skin, not once, but twice. Surprising faith. Yet what makes Abraham special is not the strength of his faith, but the faithfulness of the God in whom he believed. The Abraham saga is the story of God's faithfulness to yet another sinful man. And in that, you and I can take hope today. That though you and I are not as strong as we would like to be, we're, we're often very weak, actually. And though we show ourselves to be less than faithful, more than we care to admit, yet the God in whom our weak faith rests is Himself almighty and faithful. He has placed His name and His promises on His children. And he will show himself strong and faithful on our behalf for our good 
and for his own glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this epic story of Abraham, a man who was unusual and exceptional and yet, and yet weak like us, and yet you made grand promises to him and you kept them. And Father, you have made grand promises to us about salvation in Christ, and you keep them. You made a grand promise, even that we read in 1 Thessalonians 5, that that you sanctify your people, that you will do it. You will see it to completion. And I look at the amount of sanctification that is lacking in my life, that, that, that still needs to be completed. And if I were to undertake that myself, I would lose all hope. But you say you will do it. And that's a grand promise. You say that right standing before you is to be found not by keeping some law, not by keeping some list or doing the right things, but by faith in Christ alone. Therein is found right standing before God, peace with God and eternity with you. That is a grand promise. Thank you that you keep your promises. I pray for each one here, even as we go out and we enter our week and we face challenges to, to the promises that you've made to us, these and many others. May we remember your faithfulness to Abraham, that you do indeed keep promises against all odds. And we, may we be strengthened and held up and built up in our faith as we remember that. So we pray for your blessing even this week. In Jesus' name, amen. There's going to be a family to come up and pray with you. If you want to pray with them, they love to do that. Miss Brianna will be uh, over here uh, taking the blast zones for the kids who have filled that out. I want to conclude with these words from Paul in Romans chapter 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God bless you all and you're dismissed.